In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples from the mountain, and he is giving the authoritative word of God to them. He is saying to them, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and of course, Jesus is the word of the Lord made flesh. And so he is perfecting and fulfilling the law of Moses. Ultimately, God's law is fulfilled in loving God and loving our neighbor. Jesus himself summarized the law of God in that way. And if we look at our passage from Leviticus, we find some very interesting things. It talks about not hating anyone of your kin. And it also talks about loving your neighbor. But in the Old Testament, the kin, the tribe, and the neighbor, they were all the children of Israel. There were actually different ways to treat outsiders those who were not within the bounds of Israel. That's why Jesus said, you have heard that it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, even love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you, and you will be like your heavenly father who loves everyone, who causes the rain and the sun to shine on the evil and on the good. So that's the transformation and the clarification, the perfection, the fulfilling of the law that Jesus gives. All of the things given in Moses and those interpretations, whether they were correct or not, uh, are swept away and the perfection of the law of God is that we love everyone, even the enemy not just those who are part of our pack or a part of our posse or look like us or think like us or sort of do what we want people to do. The love of God extends past those boundaries. Last week we ended with a commitment to engage these commandments. I had said that we in fact have a heart problem because we are not able to love God and our neighbor as we should. And that we have the ego, the self, the devil, and God all mixed up in our hearts and that it was the task of the Christian life to weed out the self and the ego and the devil until only the love of God and God himself resides in our hearts. So we can't ignore these commandments of Jesus. We can't try to say, well, Paul said we didn't have to worry about all of this because he didn't say that. And we can't just live in defeat and admit failure and just quit trying. So how do we engage these commandments? Well, the way that we engage them is through a process called the conversion of heart. The conversion of heart. And I want to just lay out this process. Some of it will be very familiar to you. Uh, Some of it may be new, but all of us as disciples of Jesus are called to this conversion of heart. The first aspect of the conversion of heart 
is awareness. Awareness. We become aware of the commandments of Jesus. We have been baptized. We've been given Christ and the Holy Spirit as a gift. We didn't do anything to receive those. Those are the gift of God. And as we grow a little bit, as we come to church, we start to hear these commandments of Jesus and we become aware of how challenging and difficult they are. And we uh, are struck by these commandments. Hopefully that's been happening the last few weeks when you uh, come to see that Jesus is not just talking about external actions, but the internal workings and motivations and desires of our hearts, which is a whole different ballgame. So we become aware of our need. When we were in seminary, we had to go through something called clinical pastoral education. And uh, we were assigned to a hospital, an ICU unit for the whole summer, I was. And on the very first day, they said, okay, everybody wash your hands because we're going to go visit people who are sick and you don't want to take that back to your family. So we went, we washed our hands and we presented our hands to uh, the instructor and uh, she made us go under this ultraviolet type of light. And we realized that in fact, our hands were filthy. We thought they were just clean as a whistle. But the reality was, it wasn't what it appeared to be. Our hands were filthy. That's the part of the awareness where we start to become in touch with the fact that in our hearts, there are all sorts of thoughts and desires and conflicts swirling around. Jesus has already mentioned having anger in our hearts towards others even murderous anger, but unforgiveness, uh, of lust, our speech, of loving others, of being generous, of slandering and gossiping. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Those things swirl around in our hearts and we become aware that we are probably a long way off in the conversion of heart of managing to even do some of these. The second aspect of the conversion of heart is faith. Faith. Faith, though, in a deeper sense. Not faith that we believe in God, that we believe in Christ and the resurrection and this and that, but faith and trust in Christ only. Not until we decide to engage these commandments and really try to do them and then utterly fail can we reach this type of deep faith? Many of us maybe have never even tried to begin with. We sort of just go through the motions and because we have some of the externals taken care of, because we're not murdering, because we're not robbing, because we're not raping, we think we're okay. But according to Jesus, we're not. And so if we really try to fulfill these commandments, especially in terms of the desires and the thoughts and the motivations of our hearts, we will find out differently. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, suggests maybe just try to do it for six weeks and see how you come out. So I bet if we were to try not to lust, not to gossip, not to be angry, not to have unforgiveness, not to slander somebody, and all the rest of the list... 
we would probably have to admit we had utterly failed. And he says that until we reach that point of utter failure to live out the commandments of God, until we come to terms with our own personal bankruptcy, only then can we fully give our trust to Christ alone. Because we have no place else to turn. Because we have learned by experience, by experience, that we can't fulfill these commandments. And the commandments are real. And so we fully entrust ourselves totally to Christ himself and trust that he will work through us and the Holy Spirit to allow us to begin to have a conversion of heart and that we're going to have to trust him the whole way to have any success in following him and fulfilling the commandments of Christ himself. So faith is the second. The third follows quickly because it is confession. After we realize our failure and our bankruptcy, confession should be an hourly, daily, weekly habit of ours. As the Holy Spirit reminds us when we are breaking these commandments and failing to achieve these commandments, we should be confessing to the Lord that we have strayed or that we have failed and we get right back up and Christ and the Spirit begin to move us forward. But we have to confess when we transgress. Now the next part of the conversion of heart after awareness, faith, and confession is repentance. Repentance is in fact the lifelong pursuit of holiness of righteousness, of love, of the commandments of Christ, however you want to put it. Repentance is not just feeling sorry maybe sometime in the past for something that you did. Repentance is actually a lifelong pursuit and the process that we go through to pursue Christ and his commandments, to pursue the Lord and the things of the Lord, to pursue, to pursue the love of God. And so C.S. Lewis again says, the only fatal thing for us is this, that we sit down content with anything less than perfection. That we sit down content with anything less than perfection. What he's saying is, is that because we have been given Christ and the Holy Spirit to give us the energy and the power to have a conversion of heart, to make progress in our spiritual lives, to actually fulfill many of these commandments, maybe and hopefully more and more of the time, we can at any point say, you know, I think I'm done. I think, I've, I think I'm, I'm cooked. I'm ready to come out of the oven. I'm ready to, to, to not worry with all of this. He's saying that's the only fatal thing is when we give up and think we have arrived. And as I know myself, because I want to pursue Christ, because I want the kingdom of heaven, because I want to be there with all of you, and I trust that we will all be there, I really can't let up until my very last breath. Because if I go on autopilot, things will go bad quickly. 
Anger will come up. Unforgiveness, anxiety about money and possessions, lust, all the things, all the things that all of us deal with, those will all just come right back without Christ in the spirit and without that process of repentance that leads us to follow Christ into the kingdom. Well, the last thing that we are called to do is engage the means of grace. If you're a longtime Episcopalian, you've said the great thanksgiving, uh, or rather the prayer of, of thanksgiving, the general thanksgiving, uh, many, many times. Before they changed the Eucharist for every Sunday, remember, we used to say the general thanksgiving every single Sunday. And in that prayer, it says that we pray for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. Yeah, I see, I see the Episcopalians here. They, they know it by heart. The means of grace and the hope of glory. What are these means of grace? The means of grace are the ways that Christ and the Spirit are ignited within us to continue that process of repentance and conversion of heart. The first is prayer. The first is prayer. But before you go to sleep, I'm talking about a different type of prayer. I'm talking about not just being before God and asking for a list of things or a list of events. I'm talking about prayer where we open our heart totally to God. I'm talking about prayer to God, Christ and the Spirit, where we totally open our inner life and our inner world to God to reveal the good, bad, and the ugly, where we open to God, all of our issues, our conflicts, our sinfulness, our thoughts, our desires, we open our total selves to God. And we begin a conversation. We begin a communion. We begin a relationship. We begin to listen to God, but we're not hiding from God anymore. This prayer is an openness to God. And part of this prayer is where we ask the Lord Jesus to take away what is in our hearts that we know is not right and to give us the virtue that we need in order to fulfill his commandments. So the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, deliver me from pride and grant me to see my own sins in the true state of my own soul. So we're asking Christ himself to take away the pride in our hearts and to help us see our own sins and the real state of our own soul. And if we pray that prayer, we will become poor in spirit, which is where this Sermon on the Mount began. We will become poor in spirit and we will become so alarmed at the state of our souls that we won't have time to spend worrying about what other people are doing or not doing because we'll say, I've got repentance to be on my way with. I'm not as concerned about what other people are doing because I need to be concerned about the state of my own soul. But this prayer to be prayed every single day, whether it's lust or anger or whether it's our speech uh, whether it's anxiety over money and possessions, whatever this is, we pray, Lord Jesus Christ, 
Deliver me from anxiety over money and possessions and grant me your faith and trust in our heavenly father to provide for the needs of my family and for myself. Whatever, you can make up these prayers, but the point is, is that we are actually asking Jesus to take from us what is in our hearts that needs to be converted and to give us the virtue to fulfill his commandments, which ultimately is love. To love God and to love our neighbor. Well, just a few more of the means of grace. We talk frequently about the Holy Eucharist. What about service? Service is one of the ways that we get out of ourselves and we move into the lives of others. And we do it just for the love of God and the good of our neighbor. And if we do it to a poor person, we, uh, in fact, will get nothing in return, and that's probably good. We may not even get a thank you. The name might not be in the bulletin. It may not be in the, the, the billboard. Whatever it is, that's probably a good thing because we can get tangled up with motivations as we serve others. And that's part of the whole point of Jesus is as we look at ourselves and our motivations and our desires, we start to understand that we do things for many, many reasons. But service is one of those means of graces that we can be involved in. Another means of grace, if you know that your heart is captured by something, is a group. Go to AA, go to Gamblers Anonymous, go to whatever group that you need to go to in order to break the power of those things and to subside some of those things so that a conversion of heart can continue to take place. And finally, I just mentioned devotional reading. It's very important. We live in a world of data and technology and constant media. There's no place you can turn without chaos and craziness reigning right now. You can't turn on the television. You can't get on the internet. You can't get on Facebook. It's inescapable. So if you choose to view that, by all means, you need to be filling your mind and heart with the things of Christ and the Spirit to help you just even maintain your sanity. Well, the Lord has given us many means of grace, but let's finish with the hope of glory. The hope of glory, Christ in us, our hope of glory is where the prayer comes from. It comes from Paul's language about the fact that we have been given Christ and the spirit within us to glorify us. That means that if we cooperate with Christ and the spirit in our lives, that eventually we will share in the glory of Christ himself. Christ is already risen from the dead, glorified, free from every bond, and we will share in that glory in the age to come. It's sort of like graduation. And so in this conversion of heart, I want to connect the idea of graduation. Graduation is when we move into the participation in the glory of Christ himself. You know, graduation happens and some people get to graduation and they've barely made it, right? 
Others get to graduation and they really wish that they had applied themselves more because they know in their heart they really didn't try the way that they should have. Others who had discipline and perseverance, they graduate with honor. So you see there's different degrees of honor and different degrees of glory. The good news today is is that Christ is in us, our hope of glory, moving us forward, pushing us, helping us along to graduate. And if we cooperate with him, we can graduate with honors. Everybody is going to graduate one way or another, but let's go through this process of the conversion of our hearts and graduate into the glory of God. Amen.